This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. This show starts my 14th year on the uh, Federal News Network, and I couldn't think of a better way to uh, to celebrate that than to bring in two of my favorite GovCon marketing gurus, Christina Morrison and Alan Rubin. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, and happy anniversary. Thank you. I can't believe it's been 14 years. Really? No, it seems, it's, it. I guess you know, in tech years, it goes much faster. There you go. Um, <laughs> radio time. Yes. Uh, you can't see me age. You don't look haven't. any different than you did and 14 years. Exactly. So to mark this particular occasion, Number one, we're going to have fun. Uh, we're going to talk about things in marketing that have been with us for a while, but largely have stayed the same. I mean, some of the venues may have changed. A little bit of the tactical side may have changed. But certain things are with us for a reason. So um, when I started my business uh, in 85, I started it because nobody was studying marketing as a separate discipline. That has changed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, convincing corporate that uh, this market is so radically different that your corporate PR, your corporate messaging, your corporate branding isn't necessarily going to play here has always been a chore. I know, Alan, you, you had that problem when Emix bought or uh, when Arrow bought Emix. group, yep. Yeah. I mean, Arrow is an international distributor. It is, and and I will give uh, credit there, I think, in the case of uh, the Arrow acquisition of Emix Group back in 2015. I think Arrow recognized that it was a different market, and I think that was one of the things that helped to drive that acquisition. Right. They had a significant amount of business in the federal space, and certainly state and local was handled a little differently. But they they recognized there were differences, and they saw that they had – had certainly accumulated uh, a lot of business in the market, but recognized that it was not going to accelerate and they were not going to continue to grow in that space um, without having market expertise, without having access to local teams and market intelligence and contract uh, knowledge and just an understanding of everything from the marketing and sales motions all the way through to the contract issues and the price list management and, you know, the regulations and just mm-hmm. knowing how to how to both pursue business and stay out of trouble, which uh, we yeah. certainly know is some, an issue that a lot of companies have to deal with. So. Right. And, and as you know, I had a tremendous amount of fun writing about that acquisition. Exactly. So. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'll just add, I think, you know, what I saw in my time in Emix Group um, running the marketing team there was working with so many different companies. There was oftentimes a recognition uh, and they were coming to us because they they knew that they needed to do something differently in the market and they were looking for help, and that was kind of the value proposition of the company. Uh, but then there were plenty of others who came in and thought, well, you know, I'm I'm just going to offload my, my public sector to you, and I'm, I'm going to keep doing everything the same way I'm doing. And, you know, we had to have that hard conversation. It doesn't really work that way. You have to commit to this market. You have to commit resources. You have to market differently. 
which we'll talk about. You have to yeah. sell differently. Yeah. And Christina, you, uh, I found you initially because you had the first job title that I could find on the marketing side in GovCon with social media manager in the title. Yes. Pioneer, definitely. Yes. So during my time at, at Hewlett Packard, um, certainly a, a big government um, player at, at the time and, and still today. Um, but, you know, I've been on the, the small side with folks like Teradata and NCR and even PictureTel when they were around and now with VMware. And I don't think it matters so much the size of the company. The, the challenges that we've been talking about here certainly happen whether you're the size of, of somebody like HP or HPE with the amount of government business that you're doing, or you're someone who was smaller, like when I was at Teradata. The knowledge um, that the one-size-fits-all model doesn't work is always a challenge of educating back to your corporate office. I think having a strong sales team who can help support that message and tell that story back up not only to their sales leaders, but also help champion that message back to the corporate marketing team makes the, the conversation a little easier. Um, but it is back to the relationship between the sales and marketing team within this space to help define how you're going to grow and where you're putting your resources. Okay. So that, that ties into topic number two. So Again, when I started my company in 85, there was no market research firms out there. So when Lisa DeZuti decided to start hers, uh, Christina knows because she brought in one of my earlier notebooks. Uh, As soon as Lisa started chonking out stuff at Market Connections, I started incorporating it into the Government Marketing Best Practices seminars. And the importance for Market Connections and now a couple other firms is that they focus exclusively here on this market. They, it's not generic tech, it's not B2C, it's not B2B, it is business to government. So I'll jump in here first. So as Mark said, I did bring in his government marketing best practices dated back from 2006. And where I was at that point in time in my career was I was with Teradata and I was the lone marketing person for public sector. It was me. And why I wanted to learn more and be at this event and and hear from folks like Mark and and Lisa was because I was trying to champion and find whatever market research I could to share back with my corporate office to help educate them that this space is different and here is why. And it's not so much that we're trying to, you know, just say we don't like what you're doing. What you're doing back in corporate is right for those enterprise and commercial and non-public sector customers. Having this market research from folks like Lisa, Mark, and others gave me the opportunity to help educate those who weren't as experienced in this market as others. I think it's a great point. I think market intelligence and market research, I'll kind of use those synonymously, even though they're really not, and I think there's some differences there. But that can play so many different roles. Um, I had the fortunate at MX Group and at Arrow to oversee a market intelligence team. It was great to have that analysis um, in-house, both for the ability to educate people within the larger company, but also to drive that understanding within your organization of the customer need. 
and to make sure from a sales and marketing perspective that everything that you were doing was aligned to the customer need, the messaging was on target, um, the target audience was better defined, um, and to use that to drive content, which is something that I thought we may want to talk about for a couple minutes. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a good point about you know identifying that target audience. You know, a, a lot of times from the corporate side, they're looking at going after somebody like the VP of Information Technology, um, or you know, this solution we're coming out with is perfect for the VP of HR. That probably isn't who we in this market would target with that solution, right? It's a great solution. It's a great product, but we need to adjust who our targeted our audience is and job title. And I think back to what you were saying, this is where the, the research and that data helps champion the story as to why all job titles and target markets aren't the same. Yeah. I, I think a, a, one of the things that people don't often think about when they're outside of this market, and it it's one of the you know, great things about this market for the people who know what to do with it is there is so much information available. So much has to be made public that if you know where to look and how to find it, you've got just a treasure trove of information. And that doesn't exist to the same extent on the B2B side. So that is one of my favorite things to say about what makes this market awesome. You know, whether it's because of the Freedom of Information Act or the fact that any 24-hour news cycle is going to give you an update on what's going on in this market. And just the the requirements for transparency, kind of a you know interesting phrase to, to go through in these, <laughs> these current times. But yeah. um, just knowing that there is so much information through the Exhibit 53 and Exhibit 300 documents, which the names have changed over time, and the IT dashboard, which has changed, and FBO, which has changed. Now, all these things have evolved over time, and the names have changed, and the delivery methods have changed. But the, the information is there, and it, you, if you know where to look for it, if you know how to mine it, you know how to get down to program-level dollars. You yeah. know how to get down to specific budget needs and technology requirements, and they're there in black and white. And having that type of information available for a sales team is critical to shorten the sales cycle and also for a marketing team to make sure that they are targeting the message and targeting the audience in the right way. Well, and think of it, too. If you're not even just folks like us in marketing and, and business development, but the sales team – the amount of contacts and, and phone numbers and job titles and email addresses. And then you go back even to looking at what RFPs and pre-RFPs and who can I partner with and who else is exactly. interested in this opportunity and, and where is it, you know, in the next five years, where is it going and what does the budget look like? I don't know why people don't want to get into this market. Um, you know, I, I think I sometimes I feel like I have it easier than my friends who do the similar role as me in enterprise and commercial because there's so much I know about the customer that they wish they knew that their customers don't share because they're driving a competitive revenue-driven strategy. Sure. And the other side of it is you can know where you're going and you can know who has the money and why they want to buy. Right. And then the anchor can get dropped, and then it can take you 18 months to get <laughs> to your destination, <laughs> which is probably the answer of why a lot of people don't get don't, into this market. Right. Oh, right. you know, you got to love the marathon. Yeah, my current role <laughs> with a, a very small company, OROC Technologies, um, you know, emerging, coming into the, the public sector space as well as the commercial space in regulated uh, markets, we see how much quicker things move on the, the B2B side than on the mm-hmm. B2G side. And so that's kind of the flip side of it. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Alan Rubin of OROC and Christina Morrison, currently with VMware. 
and uh, we shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today celebrating my 14th year, starting my 14th year with Christina Morrison and Alan Rubin, two of my best friends, and they also happen to be two excellent government marketers, people who's, uh, they may not know this, but but they mentor me probably uh, more than I mentor them. So. That's the nicest that thing I've heard That is flattering, right? Yeah. I uh, think so. Well, it's a collaborative universe. It is. Right? It, that it is. So without people like you doing stuff, I'm not going to learn. I, I feel the same. Period. Yes. So there you go. Lesson number one, pay attention to your surroundings. <laughs> Don't, Always don't be learning. The street. So taking the research, Alan, and taking that down to uh, the the tactical level, where do you start? So you, you, you commission this research, and what do you do then? Well, I, I think you want to think about it in terms of make, first making sure you're doing the right research, uh, making sure that you're you're targeting – if you're going to be doing research, think about why you're doing it, right? Are you doing it for product development purposes? Are you doing it for customer relationship purposes? Are you doing it to drive a marketing campaign or a PR campaign? I think one of the things that we've seen through um, a lot of the data that's come out from Market Connections and others, um, we know how important trust is and we know import- how important it is for customers to see you as credible. And I think research kind of fills that void if it's done in the right way. Um, we see in a lot of the, the numbers um, from the market connections work and others that research is among the most trusted and valuable content, whether that may be third-party research, the gartners and foresters of the world, or it's research that you may be commissioning somebody to do or doing on your own. If you're positioning it in a way that it's credible, that you're not pitching, you're not selling your stuff, you're providing new information and giving your customers ammunition and educating them. It all comes back, Mark, I know you're a huge proponent of the idea of educate, inform, entertain um, your prospects and your customers. I think research gives you that way to do that. It gives you content that you can leverage through social media, through your website, through assets that you can use for, for demand generation. And it also helps give you those headlines, right? It gives you those headlines of new, what new research is showing and, and new information about a trend in the market that the customer may not be familiar with. I absolutely agree. I mean, when you think about the importance thought leadership plays, not just in, in this market, but in any market, and in many cases, folks like Alan, you and I, and Mark, we need to help take that message and make it relevant to this market. You know, you bring up the point with Gartner, I mean, Maybe a lot of people aren't aware of how many public sector analysts that Gartner has focused on this market. And one of the things that I've been championed back to the business units within VMware is we're doing a great job educating Gartner on our stories, on our solutions from a high level technology point of view. But we need to continue having the conversation with the analysts at Gartner who talk to our public sector customers so that when an inquiry is made from someone in DOD about what's hot with cloud, that analyst who focuses on DOD at Gartner, when they talk to their peer at Gartner who focuses on cloud, is educated on the value that VMware is bringing to this market when it comes to cloud. Yeah, it it continues to amaze me when I when I bother to look. So I look up Gartner on LinkedIn and I go to the all employees filter and then I put DC as the sub filter. 
Gardner's here, McKinsey's here, Boston Consulting Group is here, Forrester's here, on down the line. You know, all of these uh, big name outside the market companies are here studying this market. And that content is, is <clears throat> consumed so heavily. Obviously, there's a huge premium on it. I, I, I think, <laughs> really? obviously, yeah. <laughs> Understatement of the day, right? Just think back to when you started the show, Mark, and how easy it was at that point for a customer to find out everything and anything they wanted to know about any product they may be considering and how that has changed. You know, not so easy 14, 15 right. years ago, right? right. You, yeah. you, could, you had access yeah. to information, but so much, as we know, was driven by the sales focus. Right. And now the, we all know how educated the buyer is, and we've all seen the stats about, you know, 60 to 70% of the decision is made before the customer reaches out. Right. And, and we know with, that they're often starting with that credible third-party research that is going to help inform them and educate them so that they can drill down into what they really need. The, the third-party research has shown up in some of the studies as one of the drivers for uh, government researchers, you know, contracting officers, program managers, even the occasional CIO, mm -hmm. if they're really techies. Um, probably not. But did I say that um, out loud? Um, so it's it's a driver there too it's very important to have that third party validation of your stuff well in so many cases it's a challenge to get that customer reference that we may want right in this market so how do you go about getting that credibility and that reference and it's through this type of research or it's through doing a custom piece with one of these third parties so that you're creating that that thought leadership and you're creating then that content that you need to help amplify and tell that story to, you know, what I like to say is, you know, we need to be educating, we need to be motivating, but most importantly, at the end of the day here as a marketer, you need to be helping generate that pipeline with the sales team and, and the thought leadership and being able to have a story to tell to this market that's meaningful is the beginning of that. Yeah. And I think from the, if I think back to, you know, 14, 15 years ago, and I came, uh, before I came into this market, I was in the B2B media space um, back in the, you know, the print publishing days and then moving into online publishing when it was early. And, you know, working closely with the editorial teams and seeing the stress that they were under, even to get, you know, weekly newsletters and, and monthly magazines out the door. And that has so, you know, amplified and, and just been accelerated with the, just the daily need to push out every piece of information via social media and everything's got to be done in the next three minutes. And so having that credible research, if you can do it and you can do it the right way and you can do it in a way that's non-salesy um, and balanced, mm. gives you something to hand over to those, you know, our friends in the editorial media community to evaluate and say, this is something that I can run with. This is something that I can use or at least cite, if not use in, in whole, um, to help them get information out that's going to be credible for their audience. I mean, you bring up a great point, and I think this is, you know, going back to what brought Mark and I first together here and to connect is, how do you give content out and share content that's not being salesy, right? And I think that's where the value of social comes into play, that by having the right content and the right story, it gives you as that sales leader the opportunity to share something that is important and relevant with your customers, with your peers, without always picking up the phone and asking for, you know, what's going on in the business and, and where's that PO that I'm looking for, right? It's about being able to have a relationship with your customer that's, you know, two-way, 
right? I'm not just calling you looking for the deal and looking for the business. I'm also calling to make sure you're getting education and you're um, seeing value from what I'm bringing to this relationship as well. Yeah. One of, one of the, the, the things you, you, you get the market research from market connections, Gartner, whoever, right? So you can immediately turn that into a press release. You can, you can create a webinar around it. You can, there's, there's 20 different ways you can start creating buzz there. And Alan, you, you did a tremendous job with that at Emix. Thank you. So, uh, you know, the blog, for instance, uh, every week I probably get two or three, uh, announcements of a, of a new blog post there. You didn't let one person do it. You had like, there's like 22 people. Uh, who have this niche knowledge. It's either a technology knowledge, an agency knowledge, or a combination thereof. It's all about trust. Uh, you know, it goes back to educating the customer, educating the, the partner, for those of us who are, you know, in the, the channel ecosystem as well, um, making sure that we come through as thought leaders, that we have credibility, that we're not selling all the time, and that we're, we're bringing value to the party, and that's what is going to keep people coming back, yes, they're going to look at speeds and feeds, and they're going to look at technical details. And of course, there's a big element of framing the argument and framing the message to position yourself to win. But you also have to be sharing credible information. Um, and, and I think the research gives you the ability to do that. And I think it gives you the ability to have those subject lines in your email campaigns and to have those headlines in your your organic and paid posts, or and even your paid search, um, so that you are, you've got something that's cutting through the noise and it's not a promotional sales pitch. It's something you, you can use it to share information and educate. I, I absolutely, I think the, the other point that you were making, Mark and Alan, about the level of, of social and the conversation with social, I think it was really a value, an added value that you had a strong editorial strategy with those blogs and that having multiple voices tell that story. Um, because you know, many times the people who are coming to take a look at your content have diff- different job titles and different interests. And I think one of the most challenging things that we face as marketers is how do I keep the content story alive and fresh when I'm not only targeting the IT user, but also the business user as well. Right. And, you know, I, I, it just crossed my mind that when I'm thinking about things that have changed, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, and the benefits of what the web has brought us from a marketing perspective and the ability to push so much content out and obviously creates noise, which is a challenge. But the other challenge is that anybody with a USB microphone can become a publisher and an expert now. Right. At, right. And having we can podcast. separating yes. that, that, you know, slanted, um, maybe content that is, is not created with the right, uh, the right structure, the right planning, the right credibility in mind um, is something that we all have to compete with. It is. It is. And I've seen too many times through just talking with peers that the wrong strategy was implemented where, well, we'll just have, you know, the new intern manage our social strategy and they can be in charge and responsible for what our story is. And that couldn't be more than the worst decision I've ever heard of because that's the voice and the message and the image and the brand that you're putting out there and representing. And it needs to have an all-in bought strategy of 
where are we going and why are we going there and how are we getting there? And it immediately gets legs as soon as it's out. Exactly. And can be distributed everywhere. And as you know, coming from a public company, that can have legal and, and other implications as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Alan and Christina right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with uh, Alan Rubin and Christina Morrison, uh, two government marketing gurus, and we're 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 addressing in kind of a broad way. Uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And and network. I mean, this is a relationship-driven market. Period. Um, without relationships, you're going nowhere. And the deeper into the market you get, so DOD, uh, uh, law enforcement, and particularly the IC, if you don't have the relationships, you aren't doing anything. So, um, uh, Alan, uh, you have a, a stat that you wanted to, or something from Mark Connections you wanted to Yeah, just looking at some of the data from some of their more recent studies. And, and you know, we've talked a little bit so far on the show about trust and the importance of um, – having that credibility. And um, they had a chart on uh, the trusted sources of information and who people in government um, trust in terms of providing content and where they get their information from. The number one thing was professional associations. They had 60% indicated complete trust um, in, in professional associations. They also said that over half, uh, 55% of federal respondents frequently click on or download content from familiar professional associations. So clearly, um, using being involved, getting access to the people at those associations, being engaged in the content that they're creating, I think is um, is a needs to be part of everybody's plan. You need to make sure that you're part of those communities. And you know, we've talked a little bit about the the, the level of trust that comes through the networking and the fact that you need to know people. I think the associations are a great way to do that. This this whole market, this town, I mean, it is all about networking, um, who you know. And I think the opportunities that we have here, we're very fortunate because you could spend your entire week at networking events. <laughs> yeah, you can. Um, yes. Yeah. Right. Whether it's, you know, <clears throat> starting off at somebody's morning breakfast roundtable and, and ending up at somebody's lunch and closing it out at an evening networking event. I mean, the associations um, that are focused on this market um, provide us with such an opportunity. I have somebody on my team who is early in her career. Um, new to government, but has such a tremendous opportunity. I keep telling her with you live in such a great city that has such a great opportunity to grow with government, with technology, and that my advice to her is get out there and start networking. And not just at the marketing events, but also going to the FCAs and these breakfasts so that she can get smart, so that when she's talking with her sales leaders, that she's aware of who's who in their accounts, and that's helping her build more of a brand when talking to her sales team. I think about what we were talking when we started the show about the amount of information that's available um, in the public sector if you know where to look and how to get it. And going to these events, you get such great access to people who are actually making decisions um, who are out on the speaking circuit. And I know if you... you you know, see a lot of them and you hear the same things over and over, but you'll see a lot of their people from their teams there. And you, you can start to map that back to what's 
in their budget data and what's on their published plans for you know where their IT spending is going and what programs they're funding. And it can help to, to thread all that information together and also give them give you access to go in and, and shake their hand and talk to them. And I know, you know, in the case of such as you know an AFCIA, so many of these people are intricately involved in the association and giving their time to it. And just showing that you're engaged and you're supportive of those organizations gives you that opening to meet them, to, to show that you care about what they care about, and, and to build a relationship. And you you know often come out of those with a, hey, how can I help you? Who can well, I get I, you in front of? Absolutely. And I think you're going back to what we were talking about earlier with you know having that knowledge with the customer. It's about being where the customer is. But what's making it fortunate to be in this space is you can go to Navy IT Day, Army IT Day, and you're sitting there in front of these CIOs and leaders hearing what their agenda is for the future. Where is their roadmap going and where are they going to be investing? And they're basically telling you where your opportunity is. That's an advantage, again, I feel our peers who are selling to enterprise customers don't get. Mm -hmm. And it's because of getting out there and networking that you get that opportunity to not only get smart, but to have that FaceTime with that customer that isn't always involving, can I get a PO from you today? Right. It's showing that you're part of the community and you want to give back to the community and you're engaged in what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to speak at a couple of those events. Um, AFCIA Belvoir hosted Small Business uh, PEO Day, uh, not on base or near base anymore. They have to host it at National Harbor right. and they take over basically the Gaylord for a day. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is that big. But your your opportunity not only to network with the, the program managers and their staff, but the contractors there. So, you know, literally when you're walking around the the outside the ballroom areas, you're seeing deals being struck. Absolutely. I mean, where else can you go if you're focused on small business and you want to be selling into Belvoir and to the Army? You know I need to be at this event because everyone I want to meet will be there. Yeah. I had a client recently who was struggling in South Florida, and I had them join the AFCIA uh, group down there, and there was an opening for the officers. Nobody wanted to run the money side. So now he's the CEO or CFO, rather, of that particular group, and visibility rose exponentially. Yeah. You know, hello. Uh, it comes with work. I mean, you know, once you commit to this, it, it takes work. So don't just plan on joining ACT-IAC or PSC or AFCIA or any of the others and letting it sit on your resume. Get involved. You know, it's funny. We've, there's a saying that we've been referencing a lot at, at VMware, and it's about leveraging your beehive, right? And basically, you know, Mark, what you were just saying there made me think of that because those who are successful in, in any you know, sales opportunity, sales market, it's because you're using every resource that is presented to you. And your example with the gentleman in South Florida is, is exactly that, right? If you get out there and you're putting in the work and you're making the FaceTime and you're meeting with people, showing engagement, you're going to get the return back. And the beauty of of being in those positions to make those face-to-face -face connections and then marrying that with the social networking tools that you have on the back end to immediately follow up and continue the conversation 
and start to share your content just puts you back in that position of being an advisor and somebody who they can trust. Yeah, and locally here in D.C., I don't want to not mention women in technology. Absolutely. They do a wonderful job, and, and they got a tremendous mentor program for, for those people, not just in government, but in technology in, in general. Uh, so uh, kudos, kudos to, to them as well. It is a great program. I've had the um, fortunate opportunity to be a part of that program, both as a mentee and a mentor, um, and also to give a plug to um, the Government Marketing University, University. Mentor oh, yeah. Program, well, where both Alan and I are mentoring um, a, a group of uh, folks right now. Um, and again, it's I feel programs like that, um, as you were saying earlier about Alan and I, I'm getting just as much out of it by mentoring someone else as hopefully the folks I'm having conversations with are getting from me. Yeah, and any client engagement I go into at this point, uh, I'm probably learning just as much as the client is from me because now I'm focusing my knowledge on particular opportunities. So. Recently, that's involved Pax River a tremendous amount. And once again, you know, one of the first things I did was, you know, Pax River's got a pretty uh, uh, not so active AFCEA group, but it's revitalizing. And I said, now's the time to get involved. Get some of your people in there. This is a very vibrant player down there, but they're not, you know, like one of the Fortune 100 types. So, um, so, but to to go to Government Marketing University, that that is – the prime venue, uh, almost the exclusive venue for people like us Correct. at this point. Yes. I mean, we, uh, I used to host the government marketing forum once a month at the Tower Club back in the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, it was just pain in the butt for me to drive over to Virginia because I never <laughs> lived there. Um, so that kind of went by the wayside, but that was a mistake, uh, you know, paying the butt or not, it was, it was valuable because it was a networking venue for marketing professionals. And it's important for us to get together too. So Christina, you, you and Alan both know that if I get you on the phone during the day, I work at home. I'm right. by myself. Right. So if I get you for a while, I ain't letting you go. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I think that happens a lot of times with remote workers, but um, I, I think the the program that you were running, I, I do recall that from from um, many years ago, and, and the opportunities that Luann has brought to this market with Government Marketing University is something not only people in in my stage of the career, but again, people early in their career um, can benefit from because we've we've found our people, right? Um, And it's people who understand the challenges that we all face and the conversations that we are having back with our corporate offices that it's great to have somebody to gain insight and advice from on, hey, I've hit this roadblock with trying to educate my corporate team. How have you overcome this challenge? And now I have a group of peers um, that I can have those conversations with. The networking isn't just about winning business. It's also about our careers and how we grow our careers. Exactly. And, and highlighting the importance overall of what we do to, you know, headquarters in California or headquarters here. But, you know, marketing has often been the bastard child. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you know, without us, you're dead. And, you know, and government marketing is usually at the end of the chain too. So right, we, right. within the marketing so. family, it it is. But you know what? I've had the opportunity to leave this market and try my hands in in worldwide corporate roles and and chasing an IT internet startup dream. And um, I would not want to be any place but here. This is this this is the best market in the world to be a part of, in, in my opinion. Not only because we're serving and, and helping the greater good of the the country, I believe, um, but just because I think it's so fun. It it is the best game in the world. It is. So we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I shall return to wrap up with Alan and Christina right after this. Welcome back to the uh, Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I'm here again with uh, Alan Rubin, currently with OROC, and Christina Morrison, currently with VMware. Um, and um, we're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about marketing the government because that's what we do. Um, and I, I want to start with a little bit of a story. Federal News Radio started about 20 or so years ago, almost 20 years ago, uh, as the first web-based radio program. Um, so early on, right? So, um, and when I started 14 years ago, you could download my show onto whatever device you could download to back then right. uh, and listen to it technically as a podcast. And I'm not even sure podcast was a word then. So I had to work uh, on a flip phone at that point. Probably, <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> Flip it in their Zam Tower. Ah, um, that would scare people. Um, can't get rid of that person. Um, so, but but you know, the the point here is, fourteen years ago, um, social networking, Web two O tools were were nascent. I mean, you could do webinars, uh, and, and it was like brochureware. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you could do it. So, uh, Christina, how how have you Again, you were the first person I saw out there with a with a job title that had social media in it. And that's why I wanted to connect and actually reconnect with you because right. we had met briefly a couple of times before. So, you know, back in back in the day, back then, right, what two two thousand eight or so, the the world was changing. The tech was starting to evolve and take over. The flip phone was fading away, the iPhone was coming out. And Twitter became a thing, right? Facebook was taking over, and it was having an impact on how everyone marketed. And it was starting to have a, an impact on how we were communicating in public sector with our customers. And it was also having an impact, I think, on the budgets that were being rolled down to everyone within marketing and where you were making your investment, right? More money was going towards something now called digital, like, why is the digital team and who are these people taking all of the money that I used to have? Because the only person I knew that did a digital role was my, my webmaster. And now that whole team evolved and grew. And what I ended up doing at the time was I sat down with, you know, my manager at, at HP. And I'm like, we, we need to start getting a social presence out here. And I pitched the idea. And, and as, you know, any good manager would, would say, she said, this sounds fantastic. Go make it happen. 
I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> um, okay, let me figure that out. Be aware I, of what you asked for. Exactly. Right and I, I ended up, um, it was a tremendous opportunity that she gave me because I was able to create um, HPGov, HPEDU, uh, created the healthcare channel, the, the retail channel as well, because once my peers saw what I was doing, they wanted to figure out how they could do it too and how could you help me with this. And it gave me even uh, an even bigger opportunity because then I was able to grow not only from social, but how did I leverage this into PR and into the thought leadership that we were talking about earlier. And it gave me the opportunity to be a spokesperson um, on behalf of Hewlett Packard and to be out there doing press, both print and socially and in radio as a guest on on fed news radio back then to talk about what it is that we were doing and what our key messages were for the space so um you look back just thinking how technology has evolved in our own personal lives but I, i've really enjoyed today flashing back on how it's impacted all of our careers here and, and especially marketing to these customers in public sector yeah yeah and i would just add i, I think you know one of the huge impacts from the way that has changed, in addition to the ability to connect people and, and build relationships in, in forums that you wouldn't have been able to use before, um, is the way that it has transformed um, the, the types, the, the frequency, the length of content, the depth of content, and created this environment where um, you have the ability to look into, a, into your phone and speak directly to a customer through a live stream, or you have the ability to share little bite-sized snackable chunks of, of content that you can create quickly. You can create massive content investments and then break those down into snackable bites and share them through so many different media. Uh, I, I just think it's fundamentally changed the way content marketing works as well as the way people interact. Yeah, those, yeah. those snackable tidbits can be videos, it can be podcasts, they can be you know uh, uh, snippets when you're commenting on somebody's post on LinkedIn. And it has also transformed, I think, you know, thinking back over the years and, and how the power shifter, power structure is shifting now to a new generation, a generation that has grown up with cell phones in their hands and grown up with the ability to automatically share and connect with people. And we as, you know, as more senior marketers have to understand that and make sure that we're evolving the way we reach those future at up and coming decision makers. I, I get back to the mentoring piece. If you don't already have a millennial mentor, I suggest getting one um, just for all the reasons you that us? you were saying. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I do. I do have one and I do appreciate the things, especially from a tech side um, that I might not have you know known about or been open to. Do my teenagers count? Yeah, well, they could maybe, um, but that I think brings up another another good point, right? Is as the world is evolving and tech is taking over, and we're having these conversations that folks like us grew up with having face to face. That now tech is enabling us to have virtually. It is expanding a whole new world, um, and it's you know giving us an opportunity to embrace each other in a different way. I think someone like myself and of our generation. We need to just figure out how do you find the right balance so that you don't lose the face-to-face -face and the personal connection. How do you make that personal connection when you're not looking someone in the eye? And that that is where I recommend the um, millennial mentor to help you understand how that's okay. That you know, again, to to quote my teenager, he'd rather play on the video game with all of his friends in a group chat than see them in person, and that just 
is mind boggling to me, but that's his social. We're still talking. We're just not together. Yeah. My son does the same thing, but he does physically get together with the same group of people at least once a week. You've got to. Usually at my house. You got to find the balance. And and again, it's the same thing, right? We want to be socially connected, both professionally and personally, but that face-to-face is just as important, if not more than it used to be. Yeah. So, um, so we're, we're closing in here. So give me, give me some final thoughts. Tell me, Alan, uh, how, do, how, do you, uh, how do you convey the concept of social selling to your, uh, your sales and BD team? The concept of social selling, I think, is using the different tools. Using, you know, I'm a big LinkedIn fan, as obviously right. you are. Um, using that as a way to connect, to educate, to inform, not to market, not to pitch, not to sell. Everybody, we're all consumers of information at different levels. We all know when we're being sold to, and nobody likes to be sold to, uh, even though the sales team doesn't always want to admit that, right? That, that those social tools give us that ability to break through that and to share something of interest and of value and to see where do we connect as human beings? Who do we know in common? Oh, you were a, you coached Little League. I used to coach Little League, right? We've got yeah. something we, we can connect on a different level. And then when we can make that connection, then we can move beyond that to talk business. And I think, I know you train people on how to do that effectively and how to follow and wish people a happy birthday and, you know, congratulate Stay them on, on wins. Staying on the radar is so critical. And, and just understanding that these tools are there, and to your point earlier, Christina, it's not something that you put your your college intern on and just give them access to. That's not a social media strategy, right? You can't start it, do it once, and then forget about it. You have to commit to it. It is a resource commitment. There is risk involved with it. You have to have training. You have to have amplification tools in place. You have to have a voice, and, and you have to make sure that you're doing it in a way that people are going to stay within your branding lane and your thought leadership lane and not oversell. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, it's so critical to stay and to, and to establish what those branding guidelines and lanes are. And I think that probably is what keeps some folks shy and, and away from using some of the social tools to the best of their abilities. And one of the things that I've done in the past is provide my sales team with pre-written content and said, use this. Yes. Don't be afraid. Nothing bad is going to happen to you if you copy and paste what I'm giving you here and start sharing this with your customers. This can't be any easier for you. And, you know, at VMware, we have a tool where all of that is populated. And you can just click the buttons and schedule Push it out. as you want to, um, to making it, you know, just super easy for them to use. But the the value that social has brought is to what you were saying. It's It's the opportunity to educate and to you know, make that connection to motivate, but more importantly, to come across and, and to be relevant when you need to be and authentic by building these real relationship and friendships and connections and to take, you know, what started out as a business relationship and making it into a friendship. And that's why we're all here. And again, going back to what makes selling into this market great, it's the people here and it's the friendships and relationships that I've made. Yeah. I, I, I could not obviously agree more. Um, but I also have friendships with people that I've physically never met because of, you know, the books, the radio show, yeah. writing for Wash Tech also for 12 years now. Um, there's a lot of people out there that I communicate with only through LinkedIn. 
right or, or the occasional email um but but you know being in, and and simply thanking them for commenting on something that I wrote you know if somebody takes the time to comment on something that I put out there I'm going to get back to them period so if uh, I could throw in a practical please. tip and I think this is probably part of your training but I I picked it up from one of the LinkedIn um, official training sessions that I did were hearing their oh they copy know, me I should say their their sales team kind of going through. I think Mid Atlantic Marketing Summit they had somebody talking. But one of the things that always I always struggled with when making those connections and sending messages through LinkedIn was how am I going to remember six months ago where I met this person? And the the tip that I that they came back with was your messages are always archived. So if you put in your message, hey, it was great meeting you at WTOP this morning. You that it, is a it's great going to be there. That is oh. a great tip. So when I come yes. back from a networking event and I have my stack of cards, yes. I'll go through and I'll say, hey, it was great meeting you tonight at the marketing communications yeah. So, event. So they didn't mention that there used to be a note section on everybody's profile that they took off. It's gone. And yeah. all of my notes from the you know 9,000 yeah. plus connections are toast. That, that is the but, downside of these tools. We don't yeah, control them. But, but, that is true. but the messaging yep. thing is, is valuable. So when I'm writing to somebody, when I'm starting a message, I always scroll back and see what were the last two or three things we talked about. Yep. Important. So, Important. Yeah, it is. So, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming in to play with me today. It's been a blast. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. I, I can't wait to come back for the 30-year show. Yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, let's work on 15. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, this is not my day job. As as we have alluded to a couple of times here, uh, I do a lot of work with companies on social selling and LinkedIn. It's an extraordinary tool if you bother to learn how to use it. Uh, so if, if that's of interest at all, drop me a line, Mark Amtower at Gmail. Look me up on LinkedIn. Drop me a line through LinkedIn. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.